I'm Farah Dijanet of Farah Dijanet Whole Horsemanship in Central Massachusetts in the USA. And this is another episode of my podcast where I'll help you liberate your horsemanship. another uh, question to be answered on the podcast, my Fire Dijanet Horsemanship Podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, this one is, I believe, from Instagram, but I might be wrong. But uh, it's a question about gentle cult starting. This is a very uh, important topic which I'm quite passionate about. One of my specialties has always been cult starting and around these parts I do have a reputation for being pretty good with the babies and uh, always have been and I feel like this is such an important part of a horse's development. Um, A lot of people get young horses thinking that they're going to start them and don't realize how much goes into producing a really, really nice horse of any character, temperament, or breed. All breeds have their own traits. Um, In every breed, there is all types of characters. Uh, I love when people tell me, like, this particular breed is super steady or, you know, amazingly docile. And I have worked with a lot of different breeds extensively in some cases you know actually it's a funny thing about um, my work there's this weird trend that happens um, each year I find that you know there'll be like a bunch of a certain breed that come across my uh, docket and uh, it seems to be a a weird pattern but I've come to recognize it that um, sometimes I'll just get like a bunch of the same breed and uh, they come in groups. Um, It's definitely important to realize that uh, methods of training are very, um, a lot of them are very rigid. And what I've observed in the horse world is that uh, it's very important to work with methods that adapt to your horse's character. And what I've done with my work is very freeform, so it's very much about studying the horse's character, getting to know that horse, and then letting that horse dictate what is going to suit them the most. So that means that their program will be very um, positive for them, and it will be extremely, you know, catering to that horse if it has a horse with a high play drive, or a horse very bright clever horse or it's a horse that's you know maybe not the most energetic horse kind of laid back horse uh, or is it a horse that is very shy very timid uh, very stoic Um, you know there's so many different characters there are many as many horse characters as there are people characters people ask me that sometimes say do they have personalities like people absolutely if you spend enough time around your horses you know I have many on the property and the ones that have been here long term they are exactly like people 
and I'm not anthropomorphizing, but I've gotten to know each one's individual character, and even more interestingly, when I change her dynamics, I've spoken about this before, the um, horses change character. So when someone tells me, oh, my horse is mid-pack, or, you know, my horse is the top pack or bottom pack, that, you know, the the herd is always changing, and anytime you change out a horse, it's going to change the dynamics of the herd, and the relationships are really intricate, and I've talked about this also, that um, when you have, this is important about a young horse, it takes a village to raise your young horse, so when you have your young horse in a herd, it's really important that they have some peers, which means maybe some younger horses, that there's some elder horses there, and that there is a herd that is fairly balanced that your young horse is with. Uh, when I grew up doing my internships, I interned with breeders, and some pretty big breeders I actually interned with, um, if any of you can reach way back into your minds, uh, Williamsburg Farm. And they had the stallion Abdullah, who was in the 84 Olympics. And their program was around him and his offspring and some other stallions they managed. They had a stallion management program there. And um, when I was there, they had a lot of young stock. I believe there's around 200 head we handled. And uh, there were yearlings, two-year-olds, three-year-olds. There were broodmare pens. It was a very um, good experience for me, but it also, I learned things that, uh, what worked and what didn't work, and as I logged that experience in, um, to my, you know, adult and older, uh, experienced trainer life, um, you know, I can look back and say, you know, one of the, the techniques they did there was to keep all the yearlings together. Uh, once they were weaned out, they kept all the yearlings together, all the two-year-olds together, all the three-year-olds together, and they would gradually... I thought the weaning process was quite quite nice. Um, probably too young if I thought about it, but I can't remember how old they were at the time. It was a little while back, but the weaning process was gradual, and they took the mares out one at a time until there was no mares. Now, I agree. I thought that process was actually quite gentle up until the part that it's just a bunch of weanlings running around. Now, think about that. It's a bunch of weanlings all together with no parental supervision. Does that seem like a good idea to anyone? Just imagine a bunch of kids running around with no parental supervision. So, looking back on that, I liked the idea of gradually building the herd of the young horses together. However, there should have been some aunties or some uncles left in there or some old, you know, uh, grandparents put in there to help keep some sort of guidance. And there is a tendency in the horse world to wean babies too young, especially when they're breeding and sales involved. So there's a lot of components that um, can shape a young horse positively or negatively from early on. So I just wanted to touch on some of those things which I feel are 
developmentally influential on your young horse. So when you go to get your young horse, or you're like deciding that you're going to get this weanling, yearling, two-year-old, whatever age, you have to ask yourself, how is the horse weaned? Um, If possible, could they stay with their mother for longer you know, I got Maestro when he was seven or eight months, which to me was right about the uh, the earliest I would want to take him. Um, you know, I felt like that wasn't a, a really early time to take him, but it was right on the line of, you know, where I would want to take him. And um, I also figured out how to bring him to the farm in the least traumatic manner. This was really a big challenge for me when I got him because obviously I had to put him on the trailer and it really concerned me that he had to be shipped for his first time off the farm on a trailer. He didn't know what it was. He was barely halter broke. So um, there were a lot of things that I put a lot of thought into and, and I at the time that I had him, if any of you have been following Maestro's journey, I had this fabulous older um, retired dressage gelding that I rescued, Jordan, Uncle Jordan we called him, and he was a really interesting horse, but I took him on as a rehabilitation project. He came to the farm and he had been um, very, uh, you know, damaged from roll curring and a lot of harsh training. So um, Jordan, I decided to take on the trailer with me to go get Maestro. And I had a hunch that he was the right horse to take. And I have a very large trailer that has, um, you know, I can make it into a giant open box or I can make it into compartments. So it's a slant load. And so I opened it up. Jordan's quite a big horse. He was 17 hands. And I put him up in the front and tied him in the corner. And then when I got there to go get Maestro, um, the people who bred him led him up to the trailer. And um, he kind of looked inside and he, we were everyone was real quiet and patient with him. And he saw Jordan in there and he walked on the trailer. So my idea was that at least he would travel with another horse, a horse that I knew generally whose character was was very tractable and very, very um, good-natured horse. And I thought this would be much less traumatic for him. The other thing I did was I used essential oils in the trailer, which is kind of an interesting idea. But I took towels and I uh, soaked the towels with essential oils that were... Uh, good for um, soothing, uh, for uh, letting go of, of, um, you know, the place he was and also, um, you know, calming him and making him feel like he was in a soothing place. So um, that's something that y'all might try there. And um, I I believe I used rose, uh, not a lot of people probably think, oh, she must have used lavender, but no, I don't use lavender a lot, but the rose is, is actually a very soothing, um, soothing essential oil, and, um, there are some other ones that you might use that are also calming, uh, chamomile is also calming, uh, you know, lavender is calming, you can use it or try it, 
Um, but it's not one that I use a whole bunch. So um, I pulled over after a few minutes being very concerned about Maestro traveling well. And uh, I got down out of the truck and peeked up into the trailer. And by the time I had gotten out the driveway and down onto the main road, Maestro was eating hay underneath Jordan's neck. And he looked very content and peaceful. And I took a big sigh and I thought, oh, this is a really good idea. So we brought him back without uh, any event. No news is good news. And from that moment on, Jordan was his mother. And I don't mean that like in a, it, like I'm joking. Jordan took this cult under his wing like a mother. And I have never seen anything quite like it. I've seen Geldings take on babies before, but he really, it was like he understood that Maestro was his charge from here on in. And he, it was quite touching actually. And, um, People use the term babysitters, but, but Jordan became Maestro's mom until Maestro was turned into a little study, little monkey boy. And um, then he was a pest to Jordan. But it was really fantastic to watch, and it was really cool. To, when I brought him back, I let them spend some time together in a separate paddock, and they were bonding, and then after a little while I moved Jordan back into his herd I integrated him back into the herd he was in which was with Mercury and then um, he was in with another older gelding and so all all uh, males and uh, that became his family and uh, actually Mercury was raised, raised very much the same way Mercury was a, uh, kept in a herd of older geldings much to their dismay, I'm sure they would say, but, um, because he was a super pest, but, um, yeah, it was, I think that it was a very much a good, a good herd to be the much with more older horses, <clears throat> and, um, you know, the older horses teach them the way of the world, and I learned a lot from watching how they handled him, how Jordan handled him. Jordan had a very unique relationship with Maestro. Mercury has a unique relationship with Maestro. The other horses in there had a unique relationship. Each one had a different relationship with Maestro. And it's very much similar to when I do my relationship building class. And I use one horse with everybody in the class. And it illustrates how when you have a horse as a common denominator, the chemistry is different with each person and that horse, just like the chemistry is different with each horse with the another horse. So when you learn that um, there's a common denominator, everybody's going to have a different relationship with that common denominator. So I find that fascinating, and when I do that class that way, I run it two ways. At the farm, we run it with my resident herd here, but when I travel, I tend to do it that way, where there's one horse and um, everybody is working with that horse. <clears throat> so anyway, without digressing too much, it takes a village to raise a colt. So ideally, that's what I would like. I like some type of herd where they can romp and frolic and hang out and be a horse. Um, the next thing is, uh, obviously, 
unless there are extenuating circumstances, which there are sometimes, which require you to do more handling of the Colts or Phillies early on, I like to just let a baby be a baby and hang out. What that means is in the weanling to one year, they just get to go be a horse. And unless I see, and I'm not going to say that I haven't seen um, colts that needed some early interventions, let us say. Um, This is an interesting point to bring up because some people think that some horses, you know, every horse if they have a certain behavior that's, you know, very dominant or assertive, you know, some people don't like the word dominant, but um, since we use the Chinese elements, let's call those horses wood horses. So if you have a wood horse that comes out and is born into wood, that horse can be very willful and headstrong early on. And if they're out of balance in their system, you know, they could exhibit traits that would be um, concerning, such as striking, biting, charging, kicking. So um, in my travels and in my experiences, I have run across some young horses that exhibited some difficult behavior early on and required more handling early on to make them safe because they were... um, you know, showing behaviors that were unsafe. So, um, you know, if there's a horse that's showing that type of stuff, pinning, striking, you know, rearing, kicking, food territorialness, all of these things, uh, I have seen those babies, and and by all means, I have stepped in and said, okay, you know, let's start shaping this earlier rather than later. Um, In Maestro's case, and in the other half of the horses that I've worked with, I've had some horses that were just easy peasy you know they were just super super good natured maybe your earth types you know um, if you start getting Chinese elements you figure out what type of horse you have you know Mercury is a fire horse Mercury is always going to be a fire horse not always the easiest element to work with a lot of fun very playful high play drive spirited but not for everybody who doesn't want to deal with big fire. <laughs> um, I happen to enjoy it, but it's fine. Um, Maestro is airs on the earth side and um, earth and fire, I think. You know, um, he's fairly level, uh, you know, very, fairly easygoing kind of horse. And, um, you know, he's, he's quite... Um, you know, he's just kind of a grounded horse, I always tell him, because a balanced Mercury who is not always the most grounded horse. So, um, you have to figure out what your horse is and what their element is, and then you start to, that also helps your training process. So in the yearling, the, the weanling to, to uh, one year, you have to decide what type of horse you're dealing with and how hands-on you may or may not have to be. So, I had to be very hands-on with Mercury when he was a baby, and um, I had to uh, I had him boarded, so I had to do more handling with him um, to get him used to being led and brought in and out of the stables, and it was not the situation that I have now. 
you know, uh, anyone who's boarded, you know, you have to kind of work around what the care is there. So I had to do a lot of things with him earlier, but he also was one when I got him. So he wasn't totally young. So, um, you know, there was a lot of things that I had to do earlier than I might have if he was in my backyard or, or at the farm. So, um, in the things that may or may not happen in that uh, weanling year is mostly just relationship, doing the relationship exercises. So the 10 exercises that I do, what I teach the clinics about here, the Ohana relationship exercises, those are the 10 exercises that I work with that build that rock steady, um, amazing foundation for your future training. You will not have to train if you do these exercises. So um, those exercises are done in the paddocks. Uh, they are done to build up uh, the relationship towards uh, when you do have to do your basic handling. Um, I do all my hoof handling, my uh, grooming, everything at liberty. Um, I wait till the horse starts asking me to participate. And what you're going to find is if you have this... Uh, village, your village horses, uh, what Maestro experienced with me was all the time. Mercury, get the halter on, get taken out. Jordan, get the halter on, get taken out. He watched horses come and go, come and go, come and go. And he saw that they got their halters on. And then same thing with the hoof handling. Around the hay net slow feeders, I would go and clean their feet and lift their hooves up and clean their feet. So I use this principle, which is extremely powerful, called monkey see, monkey do. So you have older, more experienced horse. It's used a lot. You know, it's a tried and tested training technique throughout, you know, traditional horsemanship as well. Using the older, steadier horses that know know the, the experience and are calm about it to show the youngster. But most people don't take it as far as they could. I've used it for very efficient training of multiple horses. If I have a herd and I have one horse that knows how to do something, you have the other horse there and you start working with the one horse and let the other one see what's going on. It's fascinating and anyone who doesn't think that that works, there's been barns that I worked out of where I've been working with my horse in an arena where other horses could see and the other horses crowded around to watch because they were in paddocks where they could see what I was doing and someone would ask me later say hey did you teach my horse to do this thing you know and I'd say no I was working with my horse but then I would know that days before I was working with this horse on a particular exercise and they saw me working with it and the other horses were picking up the exercise by watching me and then showing the other their owners that they could do that exercise when I wasn't even there so anyone who thinks their horses don't learn from watching other horses it's definitely a reality so um whether you want to shape positive things or, you know, there's, uh, you know, people who think about like a perfect example of uh, cribbing is an interesting thing because people think, well, if my horse sees another horse cribbing, then they may crib and a lot of barns won't board to cribbers. But it's interesting that they will pick up a positive behavior more than they'll pick up a negative behavior has been my experience. And I would never seen horses pick up 
behavior like that where it's a a behavior that's coming from a place of um, you know stress or anxiety they're more likely to pick up behaviors that are more positive so if they see me giving a reward or they see that I'm happy with something then they're looking at that and going "I, I want to see what that's about and copy that so that is a huge principle and if you have your horse in a herd you can use it. I have videos of this on YouTube. Uh, I have one in particular of me teaching horses to be clipped and a horse that was really opposed to being clipped and eventually volunteered by the end of the video to be clipped totally at liberty because she was watching the other horses do it. Um, so yeah, in that in the, that one year period where if you have your horse in your herd, uh, it, unless your horse needs to be halter trained earlier, um, I don't you know deal with the halter that much. Um, I just do the stuff I have to do in the paddocks. Uh, by the time I get through my relationship exercises, my horse has the ability has learned to uh, be led, and this is a term I use a lot with. Um, horses that don't lead well on the halter that horse never learned to um, watch their handler and they never learned how to understand that when you work with certain exercises or mirroring that the horses eventually learn to move when you move stop when you stop you know um, watch what you're doing so when you have that in your relationship building uh, program before you ever put the halter on, then putting the halter on becomes just an extension of your liberty work. So any horse that I've worked with, by the time I put the halter on, they already know how to be led. And then the tack becomes an extension. And I teach that throughout my work, that the more your liberty principles thread through your groundwork, through your mounted work, then the less dependent you are on any tack, whether it's a halter and a line, it's a, a bridle and handwork, or you're actually sitting on the horse. And isn't that what everybody really ultimately wants, is not to be dependent on their tack? Everyone except for the people who sell that tack. They don't want you to do that. So, um... You know, the idea is that uh, it's very important. The skills that are really important in the sort of one-year-old to two-year-old year, year, um, obviously, you should be handling your horse's feet. Um, If you have any issues that come up in those those timelines, the most important things that I I need for my horses for them to be safe to handle as far as um, practitioners, medical care, and, you know, they should be fairly trusting of people coming around them because you don't want your vet or your... If if something happens, you know, if your young colt, you know, cuts themselves in the paddock or whatever or something, there should be enough handling and trust on the horse that it's not a massive trauma for your vet to come in or for you to come in or for anyone to come in and, and to treat your horse for something. These are really important things that I see a lot. I've had horses brought to me at Ohana around this area where I live, uh, where they were virtually feral, and no farriers will go to these people's places anymore, and nobody 
No vets will handle the horses anymore because they don't feel safe. And then the horses go to neglect. And then they're brought to me to get to handled. And then there are adult horses. You know, and this is just a, a ridiculous situation. Your young horse, at the minimum, should be able to have hooves handled, mouth handled, and, you know, be able to be, you know, treated in a medical need. And that's just basics of all horses. Any horse that can't be seen by the, you know, average practitioner um, is going to, to wind up suffering, you know, down the line because they don't, they can't get their hooves done or they can't get, or they should need sedation. I mean, there's so many things, horses I see with that. So the most important thing is, is at Liberty, you know, the way I do it is getting my horses used to that, trusting of me, trusting of other people. I have my practitioners come up there, my trimmer, you know, uh, my vet will come into the paddock and, you know, examine them, give them basic exams so they get to know someone else coming in and looking them over, touching them in places. You know, these are things that you want to lay the foundation for first with you and then start introducing those people into their world. Um, you know, safety, safe handling is, is really important for the people that are going to work with your horse for their life. And you want them to be comfortable with all the basic handling things. Um, I find that if my horse can be handled at liberty uh, first, that doing it, being held or in halter and lead is, is basically very easy. Um, you know, the... the because the horses developmentally, depending on what breeds they are too, again, you know, the two-year-old, three-year-old year is just still more, um, it's, it's just basic handling, getting your horse solid, you know, um, that yeah, I might uh, bring the halter in around that time, um, maybe take them for walks, you know, around the paddock first practicing leading I find this is very important to practice these things in the paddock with their herd where they feel safe where they feel comfortable my tying exercises when I start tying horses I tie them you know by their hay net where they eat all the time with their friends you know it's always very low stress you know um, they are with a situation where it's not like a whole new thing for them um you know not taking away from their family their friends all of that stuff you gradually move towards doing stuff like that um as you have more and more rapport with your youngster <clears throat> that's when you take them out <clears throat> you start walking them around your property wherever you have um you know wherever you have to work I find that people are often way in too much of a rush to do a lot still with that two-year-old. It's a very um, highly developmental time for a baby horse growth-wise. So again, I don't want to be doing a lot of circles. I don't want to be doing any handwork with that baby. I don't want to be doing anything other than basic handling things that are are just a nice, safe young horse to be around. you know, again, if you are starting to see any hoof things that need addressing, that's the time to start. You know, um, you may see them sooner or later. Um, hoof stuff is one of those things where, you know, at some point your ho- horse is going to need their hooves addressed. Some horses have issues right right away. 
you know, very young and some horses grow nice and straight, good solid feet, you know, and maybe just need trims to keep them balanced. So again, those are some things that you want to, um, you know, have your horse be good with standing, handling, and, and letting you safely do their feet because that's a big thing. Get their hooves on the right track. Um, you know, Pete Ramey talks about young horses not being trimmed enough and letting them go too long. And, it, you know, you want your horse's hooves to have a good start just like you want your young horse to have a good start. When you start to come into the three-year-old year, which is where Maestro is now, Maestro is now able to come into the barns. I've introduced him to the arenas. And I have started showing him what's called Liberty Fundamentals. So the relationship exercises are in place and the Liberty Fundamentals are the work that I do in the arenas. And that's when I start integrating the biomechanical work and the dressage with the Liberty and the relationship work. So it's going to start preparing his body for his next stage of training. Our bond and our relationship is super, super strong. And he is very much in tune with what I'm looking for all the time. I don't really have to train him. There's not a lot of training I'm doing. I'm preparing his body at this point. Uh, I have evaluated his confirmation. I have looked at his, you know, way of going, and I am at liberty now in the arenas, able to see what I can help, what he needs help with, if there's anything. All young horses are one-sided, regardless of whether, you know, it's as bad as an older horse. That's not the case, but they are one-sided, so I have to find, you know, which side I have to start help balancing him on. So you start looking at your young horse at the three-year-old mark and start evaluating what program you're going to do on the ground um, with your liberty. So what I do is I figure out what my liberty part is. And then uh, with the liberty, I'm also preparing my horse for his in-hand work. So again, if he's very in tune with my body language, when I go to put my bridle on to start prepping him for his... um, in handwork, which will be more further preparation for riding, then I know that he will be um, very easy in the bridle and very responsive to what I'm doing. Not what I'm doing with my reins in the bridle, but what my body is, is communicating to him. More body language. So I'll start to work certain ways at liberty, which help him start to understand not only my my posture and body language, which is very much based on horses' posture and body language. So I've already seed planted that in the paddocks. All of, during my work in the paddocks, I've put what I call the seeds of planting uh, for future training in there. Uh, they're not training, but they're things that are going to reference that he's going to reference back to that that he'll go, oh, I remember this from when we were in the paddock. So there are little things that I put in in place for when we went to what I call Liberty Fundamentals. Liberty Fundamentals has several levels. There's the beginning level, and 
then the intermediate level, and then the advanced level. So advanced being where we can work with collection and, and flying changes and, and whatnot, and, you know, PF and all that good stuff. So um, starting the uh, Liberty, um, working on developing the natural frame at Liberty, working on strengthening, suppling, and developing his balance, evaluating, you know, what things I can use in my Liberty tools. Like, if there's anything I see, I, I will start to say, okay, well, I want to help him with this, or I want to help him with that. And I just set about doing that. Um, when he hits a space where I see that uh, one of the things, first things I look for before I ever put a line on a horse is that they can circle at liberty around me without the line. That tells me that the horse is physically, emotionally understanding a circle before I put the line on and or lunge line. I don't really do any lunging work per se at this stage because the horses still shouldn't be doing any excessive circling. This is also why I don't like to put horses in round pens. Uh, their joints don't need that. But what I can start to do is start doing some very small and handwork on the circle and starting to bring in some lateral movements at this stage. So when my horse can circle left and right at liberty and change bend at liberty, then I feel comfortable starting to put them on a line and or working them in hand because that tells me that they are understanding in their body and their muscle memory how to do a movement and they're gonna do it without resistance when I put them on the line. They will circle easily. A lot of horses that have difficulty on circles on the lunge were never really taught how to do a circle. They don't understand the circle. And putting a horse in a round pen does not teach a horse how to circle. Putting a horse in a round pen teaches them how to go around a fence line that's circular. When a horse understands biomechanically how to circle from the inside hind leg and they know how to focus in and flex their neck into the circle before they ever even have the line on or the halter on, they understand the arc of the circle in their body and they also understand it cognitively. My work is about the horse understanding cognitively what it is I'm asking, not me cramming and jamming their muscles and going, look here, move your body this way, move your body that way. When we positively reinforce the horse's understanding of a movement and the execution of movement, we have a horse that understands the training and does not need to be trained because they just need to become fitter. So fitness to me is a different thing from actually understanding a concept. When I think of training, I think of it in different phases. A horse can learn something literally in minutes. They're incredibly bright and very quick learners. But they may not possess the strength and fitness to do that movement for more than one or two or three repetitions. So training has an element of, okay, well, at some point we have to be able to do this movement longer and hold it longer and do it at a faster gait or, you know, that's basically the progression of dressage. So it's really important to, to separate that out in your mind when you're working with a young horse. 
with Maestro, I'm working towards in the, the, the three-year-old to four-year-old, four-year-olds being the time that he will get backed. By the time I back my horses, they already know how to bend, walk, try, and canter, be guided by the bridle, all of that stuff. They basically understand, you know, training level dressage with some lateral movements. So at that point, they only haven't done it with me on their back. So when I do a 90-day start, when someone sends me a horse, depending on how well they're prepared for me, I would ultimately be working my way to that in the 90-day frame, which to me is extremely tight. Anyone who thinks a horse can be started in 30 days properly, they can be started. The properly is what I take contest with. The physical fitness, the physical readiness, all of that, that can't be done in 30 days. These three-day cult starting clinics, I don't even know what that's about. You know, there's no, unless your horse is, if your horse was prepared the way that I do it for 90 days and then went to a three-day cold starting clinic, that could happen. But if you think your horse is going to come out of field and then be started in three days, then that's just not even fair for the horse. So um, 90 days is about the minimum time and I still feel like that's, you know, tight, but, um, it can be done with a horse that's, you know, has no major issues, no major, um, behavioral things, no major physical things. And, and I have built my program around that for if people bring me horses that are prepared enough to, um, go through that my 90 day start or restart. Let's touch on the restarting thing for a minute. Pretty much every horse I see needs to be restarted that is an adult horse in some way, shape, or form. They have holes in their foundation and or if they were trained properly, which very few of them are, they lost their way somehow and have to be brought back to the beginning to restart. Any of you have been following Angus, I did a restart on him because he was just, he had uh, everything stacked against him. If you followed his history of being started then uh, as a young horse put into a lesson program before he even knew what he was supposed to do and then uh, did not work out in that lesson program shocker and then was uh, brought to me with all kinds of wrong information and you know all kinds of different training theories all up in his brain and I just said let's just start at the beginning and see if we can you know, get you understanding the basics again. And now he's he's a much better horse. And if you haven't seen on Facebook, I started competing him in dressage recently. And I'm about to take him out eventing. And he's really um, a really fun horse, turning out to be a really fun horse. So um, in your fourth year, let's talk about that this is the really the earliest you want to be backing your horse and everybody wants to be riding really soon and it's exciting I don't have this problem because I got a lot of horses to ride all the time so if anything I'm happy to put my young horses on the back burner so I'm like all right I'll get to you later and let them just grow and be a horse so um I do feel that 
This is the cause of a lot of back damage, getting on them too early, working them too hard too early. So um, please try to wait till the four-year-old year. Um, there's so much work you can do in the three to four-year-old year that will prep your horse to make them such a nice horse, you know, when you go to ride them. And, uh, you know, they're, and it's a nice relaxed timeline. So with Maestro, I have what I call my natural timeline. So when someone wants me to start a horse, obviously I have to adhere to like a 90 day program because no one wants to leave their horse with me for four years. So I, I, I get that. But if you ask me how I start my own horses, that's how I start my own horse. He's been out in a field, hanging out, being a horse. I've been enjoying him. He's been enjoying me. We play. We have fun. Now I'm starting to gradually introduce more training concepts. And it's very easy. Also things like trailer loading, all that stuff, which was a piece of cake because I didn't traumatize him when he was shipped here. He walked right on the trailer. I didn't have to train him. Um, Anything that your horse needs to know you know, I know what my horses, I need to have them know to be um, good for me to handle, but you may have other needs. I don't, that's not my place to know what your needs are. You know, you may need your horse halter trained earlier for, because that's the way the care is at your barn. You know, those are things you have to figure out. Uh, the most important thing is don't rush and don't push your horse because every Thing that happens in those early years is something you're going to have to fix later and my a lot of my business around here is fixing horses that got crashed through training didn't get complete training I mean it's just uh, that's pretty much like the bulk of the business is horses with big cracks even upper level horses that are competing and they come I come into the barn and I look at them and I go this horse has to be brought right back to the basics. I mean, they may know how to passage and pee off, but there there is a crack somewhere in their foundation. So it just goes to show you that, um, you know, keeping, fixing training is always coming back to stuff that was done early on or done incorrectly. So um, when you uh, look at your horse, you know, ask yourself, I call them uh, horse life skills. There are certain life skills that uh, a horse should have if you don't want your horse to have a rough go of it with humans. And, you know, there's definitely things that I call stupid human things. You know, there's things that I'll never do to my horse that other people do their horse and I think well there's just no need for that but there are some basic life skills that your horses should have they should be able to tie they should be able to have their mouths handled they should be able to go in a horse trailer they should be able to clip not for cosmetic purposes but for injury purposes those of you who say I'll never clip my horse a lot of times when a horse is injured they have to be clipped to get ultrasounds they have to be clipped and your vet should not be almost killed and you almost killed because the clippers got turned on so just saying your horse should be okay with at least having their legs clipped or their bodies clipped never mind the ears or the face or whatever 
it's it's a thing that I, I've been in emergency situations where the horse almost killed me and the handlers, not my horses, but other people. So I was there to help other people and the horse almost killed us because we tried to clip them to help stitch up an injury. So this is just not, you know, it's, it's an unsafe thing. You're trying to medically help the horse and even with tranquilizers, the horse is still trying to kill us. So, you know, take the time to do that. If you introduce everything the right ways, your horse should take everything in stride. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, things that you have to think about. The life skills, those are the life, life skills. Um, you know, touching by not just you, but by your your practitioners, your hoof people, your vets. Make sure your horse is okay with other people touching them. And show them how to touch your horse. You know, you don't have to make your horse tolerant of rough handling, but you have to just, you know, work with people who are empathetic handlers. You know, the practitioners I use are horse empaths. I have seen vets in and, you know, farriers. We've all seen people who handled horses roughly and inhumanely. You know, even if the horse is acting up, it's not helping anything when you start acting that way with the horse. Obviously the horse is stressed, so he's not gonna do that stuff unless he's feeling stressed. So we really have to try to help ourselves, help our horse and help your equine professionals so um, your horse doesn't have bad experiences around things. It's really important and it's so easily avoidable. So, you know, these are my tips. Um, When you get to the four-year-old year you are going to be working if you're in my system with a horse that is basically a nicely trained you know horse that bends in both directions um understand has has a top line core strength um understands basic lateral work and can you know walk trot and canter basically in a you know good lower level frame so your four-year-old horse should be that horse, should be um, pretty comfortable um, with the um, aids. Uh, since I train based on the innate cues, the cues are already in your horse. You just have to know what they are, and then you have a really easy time uh, when you just pop on, you know, everything happens. You know, horses are automatically bend and steer from your seat and your leg up to the bridle and you generally are going to have a horse that is goes right into a nice um, lower level frame right away so i have found that this system is extremely um, stress-free you have a very nice horse at the end of it uh, if you're planning on going to the upper levels or going into other disciplines, working equitation, dressage, you know, Western dressage, pleasure, um, any one of those things are uh, helped by having a horse that was started this way. Uh, your horse will stay sounder longer. Um, they will not experience discomfort when you get on them. By the time I get on a horse, the horse is top line is very strong and comfortable and that also reduces the um, chance of the horse getting discomfort and wanting to buck. Um, I have a very good track record of not having any horses buck 
when I ride them, when I get on them. And also, it's a little known fact about my training system that probably a lot of people don't know. I train by myself. Most of my life I've had to train by myself. Just me. Like, there's nobody else at the barn a lot of times. So, necessity is the mother of invention. And a lot of the work I came up with was because... I didn't have a ground person and I had to feel 100% safe with the horse. So if I was going to be backing these horses for the first time by myself with no ground person, I didn't want to get bucked. So I really had to make sure that I had a rapport with this horse and I had built, by the time I got on, I felt like me and this horse were in this together and the horse, you know, was completely on my side and that... I was going to be safe when I got on that horse. And that actually helped shape my training that basically said I need to make sure this horse doesn't want to buck me off and I don't do anything that makes him want to buck me off and that he understands 150% what it is I'm going to be doing with him and that he's mentally and physically prepared so much so that by the time I get on he's almost like well get on with it then <laughs> literally. And he understands to stand at the block and it's just I looked back over my system and I thought you know because I work alone a lot I had to devise ways to keep myself safe and also rely heavily on my horse's character and and his and connection to me and that he, he understood that um, I needed to be safe and so uh, the system rose out of that and a lot of you are probably working on your own as well with your horses and maybe don't have trainers you know helping you oversee so it might um, be interesting for you to hear that factoid I don't think I have actually divulged that completely I didn't think about it till recently actually I was saying that in a clinic that I was doing but anyway um, yeah so the four-year-old year that's when you're on your way. Um, if you are going to start doing any competitions with your horse, that's when I would start. Um, in the three-year-old year, I might take horses to shows and just walk them around and let them see. Uh, I might let them go on the trailer with us if that's your goal. You know, some people, a lot of you have no interest in showing. Um, you know, I still enjoy it from time to time for the right reasons. Um and in the shows where I can use the tack that I want and also, um, you know, where I feel like it's more performance-based, not uh, a beauty contest as some of the shows are. So, um, yeah, you can take your young horses, throw them on the trailer, maybe take them out to shows, let them watch, let them graze, maybe do some groundwork with them, throw them back on the trailer. That's the kind of stuff you can do with your young performance horses. Um... You know, ponying is a valid thing. If you want to pony your horses on trail rides, uh, make sure you have a safe, solid horse to do that with. And also use a Western saddle with a horn. And make sure that it's a horn that's strong, preferably a roping saddle, because you do not want to be holding the rope if you're ponying. And you want to be able to dally the rope around the horn of the saddle so that it takes the brunt of any pulling of your horse if your horse pulls. And you want a nice solid guy ponying with some nice elder horse 
but um, yes, that's one of the other things you can do. And also, if you're going to be taking your horses out on walks, take them out with a friend with another older horse. It's another thing you can do. But um, yeah, a lot of it is just exposure to things. Uh, desensitizing, you notice I did not mention that. Um, to me, life is, is about exposure, exposing horses to things. Desensitization in the sense where you, you know, throw things at the horse, throw ropes at the horse. Um, okay, if your horse is going to be a roping horse, your horse is going to be like a police horse, so your horse is going to be in a situation where it's exposed to that kind of stuff in its career, yes, you might want to expose them to certain things, you know. If your horse is basically a pleasure horse, just take them out and expose them to things. Just go walk them around. Walk them down, you know, my farm is on streets where there's road noise and trucks and, you know, there's things that happen. We run quads. Most farms have four-wheelers and tractors and things on them. You know, work with your horse with the hose. Work with your horse with the trailer. You know, life is is a natural desensitization. It's just like a little kid. You go out in the world and you experience things. Don't force your horse to deal with stuff. You know, use things as a trust-building exercise. You want your horse to see you as safety, not as someone who forces them up to things that scare them. You want to use more of an approach and retreat, and that will help build trust. And also read your horse you know always listen to the big no if your horse has a really violent no stop and ask yourself what's going on you know pushing through big things like that is often a trust destroyer so you have to think about what's happening when your horse says no always ask yourself why and then make very careful decisions about what you want to do about that and decide why the no is there before you proceed. And then you probably come up with a better way of working. Uh, hopefully, all of these things uh, help you with your young horse. And uh, as always, uh, you can send more um, questions in Facebook, Instagram, they seem to be coming from. And uh, I didn't mention the upcoming September 15th clinic with um, my good friend Catherine Hondor, Revolutionize Your Riding, where she will help you with your long stuck riding patterns and position patterns. So uh, you can actually get body work while we're learning skill building riding exercises on and off course. So that's September 15th at Ohana. Also in talks with um, Joanna Mendel Shaw to do a really interesting clinic with her dance troupe. Uh, I posted on Facebook about the dance, working with dancers and horses and doing choreography. And so we actually could do a clinic with people on their horses with her dancers. How fun does that sound? I'm totally pumped for this. I don't know. I think it sounds super cool. So um, if you want to see the video, I posted it on Facebook. Um, with uh, her and Bettina Drummond just did a project together and also there's a video I posted of her working with a therapeutic writing program and her dancers where they did a choreography at 
Halloween, which is so fun looking. I'm totally, I'm, I'm in. That's it. I'm in. I'm totally in. So I hope uh, all of you also will be interested in that. We're tentatively looking at a date in November. Details to be announced. And um, hopefully you're all enjoying and having fun with your horses. And uh, everybody is um, enjoying the magical beasts that they are. So until next time, uh, keep on enjoying the uh, hopefully not too hot weather in your area. Uh, It's baking here in Massachusetts. It's very hot, but it is the summer and it is what it is here. July and August, sticky and hot. All right, see you guys on the next podcast. Find out more about Faradijanet whole horsemanship at fdhorsemanship.com, YouTube, Faradijanet horsemanship on Facebook, at fdhorsemanship on Instagram, at fdhorsemanship on Twitter, and also you can join my membership site at fdhorsemanship.com where you can have access to virtual coaching, my online mentor program, and also many, many videos plus videos for sale on cold starting and many exercises that I teach.